Welcome to our podcast, Deconstruct. We're your hosts, Lauren and Adam. On this podcast, we help start or continue conversations about the beautiful and messy parts of life. Although we both had a conservative upbringing, we've since grown out of our traditional ways of thinking and have deconstructed the religious lenses we once saw the world through. From being in the CCM industry and purity culture to sex positivity and sacred sovereignty, it's been quite the ride. We bring on a wide variety of guests to hear their story and break down topics like religious trauma, racism, and the patriarchy, while demystifying things like spirituality, equality, and love. We'd love to hear your story. You can find us on Instagram at deconstruct.pod. Now, on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have Stephanie Green. She is a queer single mama of two amazing cisgender kids and one epic trans boy. She was raised in an evangelical home and spent half a lifetime working for Christian ministries, but she slowly deconstructed for over a decade before finally leaving religion, church, and as happens for a lot of people, most of her community. She's also a beautiful writer and poet. And uh, yeah, Stephanie, we're really excited to have you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so honored that you asked me. Yeah, we're so excited. Honestly, I've loved your um I've loved your work. It's just very very um it's beautiful and art artsy and I love the music that you're putting in the reels with your like mm-hmm. I, I, do you call it poetry? Or do you just call it your yeah, writing? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like, that's a funny question, actually, because I don't, sometimes I do. And then sometimes I'm like, I don't know. It's just like something I wrote. Right. I, it's like, yeah. you don't want necessarily even the label of like yeah. poetry. You're just like, I'm just writing in a way that feels good right now. Yeah. And I don't know that like everyone would call what I do poetry, like sometimes maybe, you know, so I think it's just like, however it lands for the reader, it's fine with me. I don't, I don't care. Well, regardless, you're, you're a beautiful writer and I've loved reading, um, reading your words and uh, you also have a blog too, right? I do. And it's mostly what is is on my Instagram. Instagram, I, yeah, yeah. Awesome. It's, it's sometimes it's a little more just if I right. need more space to write, but it's kind of still the same thing. Yeah, I get that. I also have a blog that's been quite neglected, but usually it's just yeah. it's just like a, an expanded <laughs> version of my captions on Instagram. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I totally understand that. Well, remember when blogs were the thing? Yeah. Like before Instagram, really? You know, yeah, it, was, it really changed. Yeah. It really did. Now Instagram's yeah. kind of like journal entry vibes mm-hmm. sometimes, which is great. Yeah. I mean, I love yeah. that. I'm here for it. Uh, okay, so your story, even in the first like sentence of your bio, like that's a you have a lot. You have a lot going on. A lot uh, of things that make your story um, unique. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so I just kind of want to dive into that. Like you grew up evangelical, and you said you slowly deconstructed for over a decade. That's mm-hmm. you know that's a long time to be deconstructing yeah. and kind of navigating a lot of questions. And um, what 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 triggered your, your deconstruction? Um, yeah. And actually I was thinking about it today. Like it really started like 19 years ago. Um, when I was, so I did, I was, I was raised in a very evangelical home. My parents were like 
in ministry my entire life. Um, uh, my dad still is very fundamentalist. My mom's had her own journey and, you know, mm. is so much more like affirming and open and all of that. But yeah. um, I have worked in ministry since I was like 15. And mm. um, when I was 21, I just kind of like hit the floor. Like, you know, I just had really been trying to follow the rules and it didn't matter if I followed the rules because really purity culture was coming hard for me the moment I had like boobs and legs, you know, it was just like, um, it became a very different experience for me inside of uh, church community. And so, um, even though I had been like in ministry and following the rules and, and really trying to be what everyone wanted me to be, I just hit the ground. It was just like, I couldn't, and it didn't matter if I, was doing all of those things because I was still being accused of not doing those things. So I just kind of got worn down. Right. And uh, so when I was 21, I, I just, I mean, I don't know what, I don't know what's TMI. There is I'm going to, and this is mild in my opinion, like for me, it's mild, but I respect that it's not always mild for everyone else. But when I was 21, I was just like really living on my own for the first time. You know, I had a roommate and stuff, but I was like really doing my own thing um, outside of all the other ways I'd been skirting that. And I was sleeping with my boyfriend. And I remember the first time I had sex, I felt, and he really was like a very kind and good person. And that was the first time I had dated someone like that, but he wasn't Mm -hmm. a Christian. Mm. And so I was getting a lot of pressure from friends and family and everyone like he's, he's bad. He's, you know, all those, and he wasn't. So it was very confusing. But I remember the first time that I had had sex with him and I like left and I went and just like laid on the bathroom floor naked Mm. and felt this intense relief. But the relief was, now at least I am what they say I am. Mm, wow. Like, okay. And he, to his credit, like came and sat with me and didn't say anything and just stayed with me. And it was just a really sweet and holy moment. Yeah. But within like a few months, I like, you know, I just was so underwater that I ended up trying to take my life. Mm. And it was the like it was a really strange experience because I, it actually was a very divine experience for me being alone and numb. And, you know, I just had taken a lot of pills. I was just kind of waiting for it all to fade away. Yeah. And I had this experience that, and I always have been like very mystical and woo woo always. And I'm going to be, it doesn't matter what (laughs) spirituality I'm in. That's how I roll. But I had this feeling like I thought if I could open my eyes, I would see God, because I could feel it like a hands on my head and a hands on my belly, just not moving. And I thought if I could, I think I'd physically see some manifestation of God sitting, just holding space with me. And um, I ended up not dying, obviously. And that was only because an ex-boyfriend who had been very abusive had just kind of like shown up and pumped me full of water and dragged me to the bathroom all night long. And so the next day when I, I was examined, they basically were like, 
well, he's the reason you have a liver and the wow. reason you're alive. But it was like the next morning, this is, it's all coming to this. Like this was the first moment of my deconstruction. I remember waking up, it was a Sunday morning and my ex-boyfriend was sleeping on the couch and I could see him from the doorway of my room and the sun was like slicing through the window Mm -hmm. and my head was pounding. And in that moment, I was like, I need something. Something isn't right. Like what? is happening right now. And so I reached and I asked him to take me to church. It was Sunday morning. I thought, Oh, I'll go to church. That's where it is. Like I'll find the thing. And I sat in a pew in the church I've grown up in full of people whose names I knew who knew me, you know, like sat surrounded and not like I was so alone. Mm. I was so alone. It wasn't there. And I just remember sitting Mm. there and weeping and thinking, what like what am i missing if it's not here where is it and it wasn't that in that moment i was like let me dismantle that in fact like my full deconstruction was really quiet actually what i ended up doing is like forming a trauma bond and getting married and you know not you know to like it was just like well let me do this thing at what i'm supposed to do i just kept reaching and reaching and throwing myself further and further away. But like that whole time for all those years, like while I was married and trying to get through that and trying to figure it out, like I was just slowly pulling these questions to the surface of me. And, and even had times while we were married where I was like, my husband, my husband was a youth pastor. And I was like, well, I'm not going to go to church. Right. Like that's, you know, and, and then he would get pulled aside because I wasn't a good pastor's wife. And I'd be like, <laughs> oh, I don't care. Like Jeez. it just became this thing. Yeah. So my deconstruction was, you know, at the time there wasn't a term for it. No right. one was really talking about it. And then Rob Bell started talking about it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I felt seen and heard for the first, like, whoa, wait, this isn't, I'm not crazy. That's not what's happening. Like something else is, is like happening in the world and in people and, and maybe God's in this. Yeah. So it was like a, it was a very, very, very long process Mm. and it was very quiet for a long time. Yeah. Well, how long, so you were, how long were you married to your ex-husband then? Is that who you have the three children with? Yes. Okay. So we were, um, together for 13 years, but we were technically married for 16 years. Our divorce is really long Mm. and kind of pulled out. And we had even like, you know, I, so I'm like years out from the divorce now. So I can say this was so much grace and love, but like, we should never have gotten married. Mm. Like neither of us, we shouldn't have done that. That wasn't, and we knew that because we were we were separated for two years in the middle of it. You know, we were so back and forth and in and out and there was just so much happening that by the time I finally called it, it, it was almost like, um, the same thing that happened for me when I knew I was done, done with the church. It was just like, I'd reached the bottom of the well. There was nothing left. I just, I knew I couldn't do it again. I couldn't, I couldn't come back one more time. It just had to be it. And And even though it was painful, obviously, because divorce is painful no matter what, um, I think 
like ultimately, it, you know, it wasn't a surprise to him. He wasn't like, where did this come from? I thought we were happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was like, yeah, I saw that coming. Right. Was he aware yeah. of your religious deconstruction? Yeah. Yeah. He, um, I would say too that through my divorce is when it, my deconstruction got the loudest. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't surprising to him because, um, you know, he and I actually had been friends since we were 15. We've oh, known wow. each other most yeah. of our lives. Yeah. So he was, he had been with me in ministries and gotcha. Um, he wasn't, I don't think he cares even to this day. I think he's just like, I mean, there's a little bit of period in time in there when my daughter started telling him she was a witch that I think he was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I don't, for the most part, I don't think he... I don't think that that, like, he wouldn't have left me for sure. my religious right. deconstruction. Okay. But yeah. I would have left him for it. You know what I'm, even yeah. if I wasn't already. I right. Well, I mean, and like you were right. saying, even even earlier, is it just kind of seemed like you were always looking for somebody to sit with you and just be and mm. and seek community and find people that were just willing to know you and just be mm. with you. And so, like, I'm sure that's that feeling like you're you're moving away from understanding one another and having somebody who's not interested in seeking that out that's just mm. got to be challenging to be in your most supposed communal space where you're where you're able to craft it and build it and make it what you want and and you mm. feel like you're moving in a direction that's keeping you from that that's that's challenging yeah that's really insightful that really was you know um even now, like the things I have to grieve about my past marriage, mostly center around knowing that I chose to be with someone who didn't see me, who yeah. couldn't hold space with me. Like he, he just wasn't capable. And, and it, it more, it, it's not like I grieve him anymore. I grieve the version of me yeah. that chose that. Mm. And I have a friend recently who said, like, I want you to really sit with that visual that that younger you felt so unsafe that she thought a grave was safe enough. Wow. Wow. Like she needed to be held so badly. She let a corpse do it and not to in any way say anything bad about my ex-husband, but just to be like, that wasn't it for us. Right. Yeah. And that version of me was so unsafe and so neglected and alone and mm. like reaching all the time that that is what she chose. Mm. She just chose to be numb and dead until she just couldn't anymore. Well, is there something that makes you feel safe that you you go to now? Um, is writing that safe space for you where you feel held? Do you, have you found that community that mm -hmm. just that basically the the heaven on earth for you to just be? Yeah, yeah. Writing is that for me for sure. It's like such an outlet, and it gives me a voice that I didn't have for a long time. I also have like chosen family you know I yeah. my yeah, of one of my I have two brothers and one of my brothers actually um in the middle of my divorce when it was just really bad and I was like I can't even pay my rent I don't know what I'm gonna do you know I was just drowning right he gave up his bachelor life and moved in with me and my kids Aww. and um I know and you know just our childhood was we're only two years apart and it was always like us against the world. We always yeah. have had yeah. to look out for each other. So that was kind of a natural uh, response. But he, I mean, it's been three years. We still live together like as, you know, we operate very well. So he's obviously like my chosen family, but also my family family. Right. Yeah. And then I have, um, I have one of my aunts is um, 
has always been my person. And so I draw from her a lot. Mm. I have friends who have become, we've become family. I, I do feel more safe and heard and held and known. And I think that there's also just like as a lingering part of my own trauma recovery is that I don't always allow that. Yeah. You know, I just, if someone offers it, I'm quick to refuse it. Mm. So it's something I'm still learning. I'll be learning for a long time. I think. Well, with your deconstruction taking so long, I'm sure that chosen family was, was a lot of who you were confiding in. I mean, with you saying mm-hmm. it being a quiet thing and you weren't doing it communally, I imagine yeah. you were still working in ministry at the time while you were breaking down a lot of the ideologies mm-hmm. you were literally currently steeped in. Mm. Yeah, I actually, um, through a lot of my deconstruction, I, I was involved in this Christian yoga community that I recognize now as being a legitimate cult. Like it truly was a cult. So I, and I was like very heavily involved, like deep inside the leadership. I, and I did for a time really think these people are my ride or die. Mm. They're there for me. And when I look, you know, the way it all kind of fell apart too was a gift in a sense that it really pulled back the curtain. Mm. And I realized, oh, this is still just another way for me to avoid the truth of myself and of like real intimacy, because that's not what's happening here. You know, it was, Mm. you know, that's what happens when you're in a cult. You think (laughs) this is everything (laughs) and it's not, (laughs) it's you're being deceived and manipulated. So it was, it was a, it was almost like, um, at the time that I decided to get a divorce, I was already in the thick of leaving that place. And so I, for a while I was like, I have, nothing. Mm. I have no one. I am completely alone. But I did have few people who like held study with me, who held on to me, who um, now are still, you know, they really are ride or die because that's, those are the people that you hold on to forever. But I lost a lot of community in leaving both my marriage and Christianity. Yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine. And when along the, um, whether it was the divorce or your deconstruction, um, when did Andrew come out as trans? Mm, this is my always my favorite part. And I always say, like I've said this to him, if I hadn't deconstructed before he came out, I would have done it for him. Yep. Like that was coming for me either way because this is my kid, you know? And, yeah. Um. So he was, you know, when he was young, he was um, just never girly. And so it's not, people ask all the time, like, when he came out, were you like, yes, I already knew. And I'm like, no, no, I didn't say that. But I did say, this makes sense. Mm. Like, I get this. Um, So when he was in junior high, I think seventh grade, so he is going into his junior year now. Mm. Um, When he was in seventh grade, he uh, came out to me as bi. And when he said that, I was like, duh. I mean, we just never say to queer people, I already knew that about you. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't say that, but I was like, "Uh uh-huh, yes. You know, I was thinking I've been waiting for this since you were a child. And then then he, uh, a little while, like a few months later, he said, no, I just like girls. And I was like, cool, I don't care. You know, like you do you as long as you're happy and you're loved and you're loving well, I'm I'm here for it. Yeah. And at this point, actually, I was not even aware of my own queerness. Okay. Like, yeah. I was yeah. going to ask so that I was, if like yeah. his truth kind of brought you to your truth. You know, and it, I think in some ways it did. And 
And I say this to people sometimes, like, especially um, cis women who say, I wish I was gay. Then I say, then you probably are. If you're thinking that you probably are, yeah. but, the, but the conditioning to not, because growing up in my family, like my dad's very deeply homophobic, mm. but I didn't even know what being gay was until I witnessed my dad being homophobic. Wow. And then after that, it wasn't on the table. So it wasn't ever, when I look back, I think, oh my God, that's what that was. I had a crush on that girl. That's, mm. I just thought I really, Really wanted to be her friends. Yeah. You know, I just didn't know. And I had a lot of, um, like I had sexual assault situations when I was a child. And then I also got a lot of sexual shame from my mom. Mm. And so I was pretty repressed sexually anyway. So it was kind of like the perfect cocktail for me to not understand myself. Yeah. yeah. And so when he came out and he said, I just like girls. I was like, cool, I'm here for it. And then it wasn't that much longer that I will never forget. We were at a water park. My sister was in town. Um, she had the other two kids getting funnel cakes or something. And it was just me and Andrew. And I had already noticed like he, he wore a big t-shirt to the water park. He'd never done that before. And he just like with his voice shaking said, I'm, I'm questioning my gender. And mm-hmm. I didn't even know what that meant. Mm-hmm. And, but I just was like, oh, okay. Tell me about that. What is that? I I don't I don't know what that is, what that means. And so he kind of explained it. And then I think at that point I was just kind of waiting for him to tell me. He knew he was trans, but I yeah. never asked or pushed it. And it wasn't that much longer until he came into my room one night and just said, like truly, he was like on the verge of tears. And he just said, I just want, I just have to tell you that I know I'm a boy. Mm. And I just said something like, When you were born you were like the light of my life and nothing changes that. So when you were born, I thought you were like this perfect girl. And now you're telling me you're a perfect boy and I'm here for it either way. So yeah, like I just, I celebrate that. I'm, I'm glad that you're introducing me to you for the first time. And you know, this thing happened because his coming out turned out to be really traumatic for him with his dad. Mm. And so I simultaneously held this really painful space for him for about a year and watched him come alive at the same time. Mm. It was just like, wow. it's really made sense because it just felt like, oh, that's where your light has been all this time. You've oh, been hiding it. Yeah. But there it is. There you are. He just became confident and himself and his art flourished because he's an incredible artist. It just felt like he was coming home to himself and I was just bearing witness. Yeah. And um, it's, it's, obviously difficult you know the world isn't kind to trans people and um he's very very passing so he doesn't experience a lot of like outright hatred from people Mm -hmm. the the bigger harm has been from religious family members and that in some ways i think sometimes is almost worse because it's people you've loved who you want to protect you and love you and fight for you and they just can't yeah yeah, I was I mean that's something that I was even thinking about of asking uh, directly asking you because you know we have listeners who have kids, mm-hmm. you know, and some of them some of them have older kids, but most of them have kids, you know, 10 years and younger. Um yeah. And you know, with with Andrew being trans is in the family members n- not supporting. How do you how have you gone about 
championing him while protecting him while also not hiding his light like how how yeah. have you navigated those waters mm-hmm. that's a really good question and it I think it's especially a good question because parents don't even know and like grandparents and aunts and uncles like they don't even know what to do when mm. someone comes out as trans because mm. our society has made it such a taboo mm topic even so they don't they're afraid of misstepping so there's a couple of things first of all like i actually put together i have this page on my website um that is a resource for family members Mm. of trans kids and it's literally all the things that i because i had to go digging right and i yeah i had the gift of my sister who was a active trans ally before i even understood Mm. anything and she had a, a trans friend who really stepped in and helped me educate myself. Um, so I have compiled this whole resource. So if people need it, it's available. Oh, and Andrew actually gives that website link to his friend's family. It's a lot because he has a lot of trans and non-binary friends. Mm. Yeah. Um, but the hard thing is that this is like what's very, very complicated is that some of our family members instantly have celebrated and advocated for him and voted in his favor, you know, just like really rallied, which has been beautiful. And I'm so grateful for all of them. And then some very significant family members um, believe that they are loving him by not affirming and celebrating him. Mm. So in the beginning, he was very afraid of my dad and my youngest brother um, knowing, but he also wanted them to know, you know, it's this kind of complicated thing. So he asked me to tell them when he wasn't here. Mm. So I called a family meeting and my whole family came and sat in my living room. And the way I presented it was, I'm going to tell you a fact about Andrew. Yeah. And And because I'm the one who, for now, while he's a child, like I am the one protecting him, Mm. I'm going to lay some very clear boundaries with the understanding that there will be no second chances. Mm. Like we're not doing that right now. So, and I just laid it out for them. And I said, um, here's what you can do. You can celebrate him or you can be quiet. Yeah. You cannot ask him. And I said, and you should know your quiet will hurt. But there, you will never once ask him to defend or justify or explain himself. I'm going to give you a Google Doc with resources and ask you to educate yourself. Don't put that on him. If you have questions, I'm your person. Come to me. Yeah. Come to me. Yeah. And they, I mean, their initial response was like, you know, we love him. Um, but then they haven't been able to to step into the celebration of him. And that has, that the energy of that has grown and grown and grown and grown and become a very brutal, painful thing. Um, to the point that like when Andrew started on testosterone, my dad wouldn't even acknowledge it. And Andrew was physically asking him to acknowledge it. And Mm. he just couldn't and wouldn't. And now the relationship with my dad is so fractured because he, um, he continues to like harm Andrew in that way. Like he just won't, he'll ignore him rather Mm. than celebrate him. And then my dad had asked me and the brother who lives with me, he had, he had told us that he needs us to not talk about these things in front of him anymore. Deconstruction, Andrew being trans for 
queerness. And we were like, well, that's not an option. Like, this is who we are. Everything we are revolves around these things. And he just cut us off because we can't and won't. And that's the way it's been since March. And, you know, like with all of, all of my family members, the door is open, but they have to, like I've said repeatedly, you know, Glennon Doyle said something really good and untamed about how like our family is an island. And Mm -hmm. if you can come to us with love and affirmation and celebration on your lips, we'll lower the drawbridge. And if you can't, that's okay, but you can't be here then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because this is where love thrives. And if you aren't going to thrive with us in love, then we can't let you cause harm. And that's Mm -hmm. what's happening. Like the harm is happening. So, yeah, I think that, I mean, that's, I've read that as well. And I thought that was like a really beautiful way to go about it. I mean, whether it is somebody who's deconstructing or it's about um, their queerness or Mm -hmm. our, just the, our religious beliefs or spiritual practices or whatever it is. I think that's it. Yeah. It definitely, you, you can implement that yeah. no matter what your story is. Yeah. Well, and like in so yeah. many holy practices, I mean, a lot of places you don't end, you don't enter the space unless you've washed your feet, unless you've, mm. unless you've prepared Oof. yourself for the space. And like to be able to hold your family as holy ground is like oh. the most magical and important thing I think you can do for your family, whether, whether you're fighting through things that you need to protect them from, or if you're just holding space to be happy and joyous and like moving yeah. forward in the world with one another and building community. Like I just, I think that's, that's such an incredible space to be able to operate from. I felt that man, like <laughs> chills on my whole body. Yeah. I was like, yes, <laughs> that you're right. <laughs> always leave it to Adam. He's always leaving people I, speechless. Clearly. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm curious. God. So how has, how has Andrew's transition affected the way that you communicate the deconstructed religion or mm-hmm. deconstructing your religion and, and theology to you, your other children? Because I feel like that's something that we hear from people all the time right now is like, I want to deconstruct so that my children don't have to, that they don't have something toxic to move from. And, and I feel like maybe you could bring some insight to the people that are listening to the podcast yeah. and like, how do you, yeah. what, what is your approach? Has, has that informed the way that you speak on deconstructing your faith and, and building something good? Or, or do you just operate out of a space of love and you just let them build something new? You know, that's such a good question. I've, I get that question a lot too. Like, it, That's the hardest thing I think for parents who are deconstructing is like, shit, what do I give my kids? I don't know what, I don't know what to do, especially when we've been taught that if we don't give them the Christian Jesus, then they're going to hell, right? So there's so much that is involved in that process. I, um, my kids have some experience with church, but they were much younger. They, like my youngest, Daisy, who's 10, doesn't remember it at all. Uh, but all of my kids are pretty spiritual just by nature. They're very like in tune. And they, um, what I've mostly tried to give them, I don't know that it's been as informed as much by Andrew's transition, although that certainly is, you know, a vein that runs through every inch of our lives. And it's something that my younger kids have um, obviously perspective on that some adults won't because they've been involved 
in the entire thing from start, you know, start to whatever will be finished. Yeah. But um, what I've tried to give my kids is actually kind of simple. And I have just given them like a broadness of God and also given them permission to not believe in God. If that's the case, like if it ever it is yeah. one of our chosen family, like a chosen uncle is an atheist. Yeah. And I remember him saying once like, oh, don't have her ask Uncle Scott. And I was like, actually, I want her to ask. Yeah, him. right. You know, like I want, yeah. that's what I'm after. I want mm-hmm. them to look down every corner and hallway. And last night, my 13 year old was telling me, he's like, right now, I think I'm most drawn to like Greek mythology. And so we sat and talked about it and he told me why and what he was drawn to. And I, I just said, God, I hope that your whole life you're saying things like that. Like Mm. right now I'm drawn to this Mm -hmm. expression and maybe that one has something. And you know, the the hardest moment for me though, was one time Andrew, it was like a year or two ago. He was like, I think I'm a Satanist. (laughs) (laughs) And my my soul, (laughs) I was like, what? What? (laughs) But I I stopped myself before I reacted because I was like, if I'm going to let him explore every avenue, he gets to explore this one too. And so rather than reacting, I was like, oh, tell me more about that. Yeah. And then turns out what he was talking about was like a humanist. Right. 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 Right? Because Satanism is not what we were told it was in any way. No. No. So it actually <laughs> became a moment then for me to grow and to explore something I'd never thought about that I'd been taught was evil that I now don't believe is evil. But it was also just like a stepping stone for him. He was just like moving through some things. And I just remember thinking, God, what if like I had a lot of questions I always have because I, I have like an Aquarius moon. So I'm constantly mm. like, tell me, tell me, tell me. Yeah. With a Pisces sun, right? Yes, yes, yes. yes. I am very very inquisitive. Yes, always like, oh, I need to know more. So I remember thinking when Andrew told me he thought he was a Satanist, I remember thinking, wow, what would have happened if I had been allowed to just explore everything? Yeah. It was available to me. Maybe I wouldn't have wanted to die. Like, how about that? Wow. Maybe I would have wanted to live. Yeah. It really was. you know, my kids are, they are what they are. And, and for every parent, no matter what we raise them with, they're going to find their way anyway, eventually. Yep. And it's better for them to do that supported yep. rather than afraid. And so I just kind of think wherever they land, if they ever land, it doesn't matter because they're exploring themselves and the divine and they're having experiences and they're thinking through things and it's only going to make them more inclusive and accepting of other people to know that they themselves can change and evolve as they go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I use the word try on. I don't know why Mm, I just, it works for me. And it's something that like I, in my own deconstruction, like I've, I have loved trying things on and not just in religion and spiritual practices, but I just mean in general, like even expressing my, like myself in, in my clothing or in the way the, the verbiage that I use or, um, or yes, of course, like spiritual practices or different, um, people like, um, community groups that I could potentially fit in or different, uh, different theologies, ideologies. I try them on for a little while. And then I know, I know that either I can wear this a little bit of this forever, or I can put it down when I want to, too. Um, yeah. and I think that's like, 
that doesn't just happen in deconstruction. I think that's honestly, that is part of life. Like that is, mm-hmm. that is living life. Um, yeah. and yeah, it's something I really, really wish that I could have had as a kid. Cause I, I told Adam, I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm not a very religious person. And it's something that I found very true in this deconstructing years of our lives is that I, I don't really care to follow a script of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not for me. And I, and I yeah. love, and I love all the, I, I dove headfirst into tarot. I, you know, I got really into, I'm still into astrology. I love astrology. Um, but there was like a time where I just, I tried them on all really hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And some people that works and that can be forever. But for me, I've just realized that I like kind of dabbling in a lot of things. And I just mm-hmm. really wish I could have done that younger because I, yeah, it would have been, I would have been a lot more playful. I wouldn't have had to figure out at 27 years old what it means to be playful or to have fun. Um, yeah. I think I would have maybe had a little bit more of a relaxed mind even as a kid and not so anxious and worrying about the rules and mm-hmm. the the black and white truths that I, you know, are supposed truths. Um, but yeah, it's I, I feel like that's the way we're hearing people talk about how they're raising their kids now. You know, those of us who have deconstructed and have kids, like raising them in love and the giving them the space. To, yeah, to try all of those things on. Yeah, I I think that's like the best way to prepare your children to exist in the world is to give them like knowledge and understanding of their own autonomy. Yeah, there's you know like telling them what they have to be like, you know, one of I didn't individuate from my very codependent relationship with my mom until I was like. 33 or something, you know, it just should have happened when I was 16. And so now that I'm the mother of a 16 year old, I keep that in mind, like on a daily basis, all day, every day, I think what I want is for him to taste the world. And Mm. I, you know, like I've been saying to him, because obviously he's 16, he thinks he doesn't have enough freedom, you know, and because every 16 year old (laughs) thinks that. And I'm, and I'm like, no, that's not (laughs) okay. It's fair that you feel that way. But what I've been saying to him is like my job right now in this season of your life is to be those like grooves on the side of the highway that, you know, if you're falling asleep right. and you run over, they start to make that noise. Yeah. And and you get to have all four lanes, baby. Like yeah. they're yours. They're yours. You have them. But if you start to veer off, my job is to nudge you back on. And yeah. so you've got to just be like. You don't have to be okay with it, but you got to know that I'm That's not going to stop nudging you back. <laughs> yeah. like, this is the way it's going to be for a little bit longer. Yeah. Because because I also want, uh, but I want him to have that room to try everything on, like to figure it out and to be comfortable with the experience of trying it on and deciding that's not for me or maybe part of it is or hey that does fit me that's Mm. just the way that we find out yeah and that's you know there's a lot of conversation around trans kids particularly from religious family members who don't understand and it's usually something like they're so young how do they know who they are people change their mind all the time you know and Mm -hmm. 
And I think the answer to that is that, first of all, our understanding of gender is very limited and we're still trying to force people into male or female. And that's right. not the entirety of what's happening here. So there are some trans people who might choose one because they feel like they have to choose. Yeah. And then that doesn't quite fit. And really, society is just still doing them dirty. Right. You know, like let them breathe yeah. and also like let them evolve because... Um, something that I had said once to my ex-husband is, let's say down the road, he changes his mind. Isn't he more likely to embrace that changing if he's been supported and celebrated all along? Right. Like he doesn't have to be afraid of proving yeah. right. Mm. So just like let them breathe and be and just remember, like you can still be the grooves on the side of the highway. Right. It's just they've got to have freedom to be their own person yeah. or they're not going to learn how to do it. Yeah. And how did, so how did you do that for you in this time where you've, you discovered your own queerness? How, mm -hmm. how have you given yourself that permission? What happened? Was it one day just an, an aha moment or was it just it was, kind of an unraveling it even in that discovery? Like many women who don't know that they're queer, I had been saying, I wish I was gay. I wish mm. I was gay. And then honestly, what happened, it, it's just very simple and kind of funny, but I, I obviously in my divorce, I did a lot of dating, a lot of dating. Cause it was just the first time I'd ever really been given the room to do that. And right. I had a lot of reclaiming to do. Mm. And so I dated a lot of men and, and I, went on meetups or dates with a lot of men where I was just like, this isn't it. And I just had had one more of those at like the minute the guy sat down, I was like, nope. But <laughs> being me, I stayed for like two hours, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. cause I just don't leave. Well, I feel very bad about that. So, um, I got home from that and I just, it was like something clicked for me and I gave myself permission to change the settings on my hinge. Mm. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't know till I know. Right. So um, I matched with a woman pretty quickly and it seemed very um, like kismet, you know, just, it was, we had so much in common. It was great. Mm -hmm. She was beautiful, whatever. And I was instantly attracted to her. So, you know, like just, you won't, won't go too deeply into how that worked out. But I say now that, she was a very necessary door for me to walk through. Yeah. Um, both one for like understanding because now I'm like, oh shit, I, I, you know, I, I actually identify as pansexual. Like it mm -hmm. just doesn't, gender doesn't really play a role for me. However, because yeah. of how patriarchy has done even men wrong, it's really hard for me to get the same kind of deep dive with men that I do with some women. Yeah. Sure. And so I am far more drawn to women. Um, and so now I'm like fully in possession of that knowing in myself and, and have seen other women and loved other women. And I'm grateful that that first woman was what she was because yeah. she also was a revelation for me that regardless of gender, I attract a certain type man yeah like, <laughs> doing the same thing like you know the the saying wherever you go there you are yeah that Absolutely. was me I was like oh here I'm still here I'm still here and I'm still drawn to the same particular kind yeah. of wounding and so I gave myself a lot of room after that to learn how to be alone yeah. mm. and it was scary 
and it was hard and it was brutal and it was terrifying and it was disruptive and it was probably the most healing thing that I've done for myself yeah. in my life is to just learn how to be by myself. And it was almost like I couldn't do that until I was awake to myself. Yeah. And then, and then I did. Right. And then I gave myself room. Yeah. We uh, recently awesome. just had a conversation with a couple of our friends that have gone through d- different ebbs and flows in their relationship and just they they were engaged at one point and broke things off and then now they're engaged mm-hmm. again and and come back together and they're so happy and and I think the the biggest takeaway from that and and from our own relationship and the things that we've been through is just that sometimes you're not looking for a new partner sometimes you're looking for a new relationship and and mm. you think you're looking for a new partner so you disregard the idea that you need a new relationship because you think a new partner mm. is going to provide that and it's like if you can if you can just take a step back for a second and it seems like seems like that first date um that first hinge date with that woman was that for you where you could take mm-hmm. a step back and you were like hey maybe it's not another partner because because I keep finding myself in the exact same position yeah. because I'm just in the same relationship the partner's yeah. changing but the relationship is the same and and I think that's I that's something that a lot of people don't have the opportunity to 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 have that experience and yeah. then step back and then be with just yourself for a minute so that you can figure out what it is that you need to to bring to your relationship with yourself so that you can be that in a relationship with somebody else too. Yeah, that's really profound. Truly because it is like it really isn't about I think up until I decided to learn how to be alone, I was just doing anything I could to not be alone. Mm. And so all of my relationships reflected that, which is why they were the same relationship with different partners. Yeah. And there's, it was hard for me to take ownership of that because I, I have experienced a lot of abuse inside of relationships. So it felt like that line was muddy Mm. and I, I was like, Oh, I, I'm not going to take responsibility for someone else's behavior. But Mm. the more that I've learned how to sit honestly with myself, the less I feel like that's actually on the table. Like those two things can be very separate and, and acknowledging my pattern, like regardless of anyone else's behavior, but my pattern to be so drawn to addicts and manipulators, people who lie, you know, like Mm. those things are attractive to me for a reason. Sure. I'm drawn to them. Yeah. I'm attracted to them. Like yeah. they speak to me and I, I, I'm drawn like a magnet. And I actually did have, now that we're talking about it, it's coming to me. But last summer I had this friend who's a man who had deconstructed from Mormonism and we had met on a dating app and then never dated mm-hmm. and just became really good friends because we really got each other. And last summer we kind of were like, well, let's try and see if maybe we want to date. And even though we didn't actually fully date, we spent some time healing ourselves in like the flow of each other. Mm. And it was just really healing for me because I got to be vulnerable and say things I'd never, you know, like I got to like work my shit out with this person. And I um, had this weird dream like months after it was over where he was like, I was like in a church building with him and he was there like a priest, but it was like warm and soft and safe. And I was just so grateful that he had done like held this like holy ground for me. Mm -hmm. And it felt like that, like sometimes those things like the, 
like the love and the romance and the sex and all of that is just this like energetic healing and it doesn't need to be anything else. It can just be this safe place where, you know, you like heal yourself in someone's, they don't heal you, but you heal yourself in their light. And, and I know that that was like a bridge for me and I've walked, like, I know I'm different. Like something in me has really shifted that doesn't feel attracted in the same way to dysfunction as it once did. Not to say that I would never do it again, because let's be real, again, wherever you go, there you are. (laughs) But I am saying, like, something in me is shifting in what I'm drawn to. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of what you're drawn to, it actually just makes me think of what you first said in the beginning of you. So you you said that you're going to be a spiritual, kind of like a woo-woo person forever. Like Mm -hmm. you said, no matter where I'm at, you know, what I'm going through, like that's going to remain. And I I love, I love that about you. I think that's like something that's like really special. And that's something that I say about like, I'm indigenous. And so there's like certain connections Mm -hmm. I have with like my ancestors and things like that, that honestly, if it wasn't for that, I would be very close to atheism, agnostic, more on that side of things. But because of my spiritual connection, I will always, like, I will always be spiritual. There's always going to be a part of me that, like, I cannot deny. I don't ever want to get rid of, but, you know, it's just, it's always going to be there. Um, So then for you, though, with all the things that you've gone through and the things you've navigated and you've deconstructed and you've tried things on and you've explored and you've loved, is there a space that you feel is your comfy spot right now as far as like your spiritual practices or the way you feel a connection to whatever it is you call it, like maybe the divine or an energy or anything like that? Is there something that you have found really sits with you? Hey everyone, want to take a quick moment to say thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode and rate and review the podcast as it helps others find this online community. Thanks so much. Now back to the episode. Um, yeah, I think in some ways that hasn't changed. I mean, what has really changed is that I don't, you know, yesterday I was even saying to someone, God, I remember the time in my life where if I didn't open the Bible, the minute I woke up, I felt like, sick to my stomach Mm. like I was doing something wrong like those things have been shed completely from my body there's not a trace of that kind of um spirituality left in me but I have always you know I live in Phoenix um I haven't always lived here I've lived here I mean for most of my life but I also have really strong connections in the Pacific Northwest Mm. yeah and I so I'm like and obviously you know I'm a Pisces I'm very drawn to water and I live in the in the desert I'm in the desert (laughs) so at least it's been raining I've seen it's been raining oh my god oh my god Lauren it rained for three days straight we haven't had rain like that in like two and a half years it was unbelievable I know it was unbelievable it was I I'm not kidding. Like when I say on my Instagram that I sat on my front porch for three days, I mean, I sat on my front porch for three days. I, <laughs> I was like, as I was just soaking in it. I needed it so badly. But I always have, um, it took me a while to get comfortable with the desert because I resented it, the heat and the dryness and um, the loneliness when we moved here when I was 12. 
Mm. And, um, but then I, I started to like lean into it rather than lean away from it. And, and what, what I really mean by that is in all of the sadness that I've had, I have an anxiety disorder. I have, you know, just sad, obviously I've wanted to die for a long period of my life. Mm. I have had, I've carried a lot of sadness in my body. And what I started doing with that in like my early twenties is hiking. Like I would just go, but I don't hike like, like people who are there to like conquer the mountain. I, I hike like, like I I'll climb the mountain, but I I'll climb it so I can lay half naked on the rock. Right. Have a moment, you know, get back to lizard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like God is in nature for me and every inch of nature that I've ever walked into. Yes. And that is, that's the same. Like nothing about that has changed. I still, you know, my daughter's the same way now. She'll say, I just need to be in the desert. And so I'll say, let's go because I know what that, feels like to need to be in the ocean, the desert, the mountain, it doesn't really matter as long as I'm out there. Cause that's where I, you know, like in Celtic spirituality, they say that nature is God's first cathedral. Mm. That's Mm -hmm. how it feels to me. Like I'm in a space of worship and, um, but I have, I have very like witchy practices for myself too, that are, you know, just like, I also taught yoga, obviously I was in that cult. I taught yoga for 10 years. So I have like a pretty strong connection still to the practice of like asana and meditation. Yeah. Um, so I, I do have a lot of like ritualistic things that help keep me grounded Yeah, that have nothing to do with church or, um, you know, like Bible study right. anymore. It's so different, but yeah, I, I've, I experienced God in everything and mm-hmm. everyone everywhere. It, the big thing for me, I think, coming out of my marriage and really deconstructing purity culture was finding God in sex. Mm. That was a big thing for me. Yeah. Where it just became not a thing of shame, but um, like the divine is in that. There's something there that you don't tap into somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. There was a season where we were really big into sex magic. So I I get it. There's like one of me and my friend, um, we, she, we were both, quite witchy people and we would just send each other new sex toys on on instagram we're like here <laughs> here's for your next um manifestation and yeah. your next, <laughs> for your I next sex that. magic here's your new wand yeah. literally literally <laughs> um and yeah so i i mean i understand that was sex really brought us to our deconstruction yeah. as well so that there's something truly magical in the sense of like it, mm-hmm. there's healing there. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, yeah. I love asking that question because everyone, everyone that we bring on the podcast is just so different and, and their response of like where they're at, like what feels comfy mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And it can yeah. be right now. It doesn't have to be for always, but like hopefully comfy. it changes. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like, we don't, that's kind of the point. Now we get to change. You we get for, to evolve. You will forever be rewriting your liturgies. Yeah. You will always, always have something new to, to, to speak over yourself. Yep. Always. God, I hope so. Like, yeah. That is the goal. That is the goal. I I also like really love how differently people move through deconstruction and like finding themselves. It 
speaks to me that it's never quite the same thing. Like no two people are like, it's absolutely this. (laughs) It's just so unique. And that makes it so much more sacred. I think that everyone's so different. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's not, that would be another, it would be like another religion if we all decided we have to do it one way. Yeah. Like we have to be. Yeah. And there's that temptation, right? Like some people early on in deconstruction, I think always, it's always early on where people are like, well, now it is this way. And we have to like hold ourselves to that space of like, actually, right. it's always <laughs> changing. Exactly. That's the one thing we can rely on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For My sure. friend says the only thing that's permanent is impermanence. Literally. You know, it's just, yep. That's the only thing. That's beautiful. Yep. Yep. I, th- I, I love that. Um, well, okay. So I think we're, we are coming up on our hour. And so I want to give you the space to give yourself a little plug. Like how can people find you? Where can they, um, go and get the resources that you're talking about, how to support a trans kid or trans family, um, trans friends. Um, where is, where is all of that? I make it really easy because it's all the same thing. It's, uh, my Instagram handle is love. Stephanie Green and the green has an E at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And then my website is lovestephaniegreen.com. So it's always just the same thing Perfect. to make it easy to find. Love that. Awesome. Well, um, for everyone listening, we will, of course, like always, put all of the the links and the ats in the bio, the description of the episode. And we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time. Bye. bye.